Hi Spurs Troops out there, Steve Perriman again. Many thanks for tuning in and your support both of our fantastic club and also my podcast. Uh, I'm sure that we've all had a difficult week um, after an extremely poor showing and loss against Everton. Plus all the new restrictions being imposed on us uh, re-meeting our families, friends and loved ones, while also many have job doubts, uh, which applies to some close people to me, family people, and makes me think about perspective when we're getting too low with results or a result or form or whatever. So it was a flat performance, uh, ponderous at best, I'm not really going to get involved in passing comment every game because I don't think that's fair. But I think the first first game where everyone was so hopeful, there's been a bit of a reaction after. So I think I need to tell you where I stand on it and, and let you into my football mind with regard to judging within the result. So more the performance, because I think the performance gives you a clue to how things are going to go in the future. Um, so in general play, I, I look for a couple of things. Um, you want clever controlled football plus urgency and then dynamic play. And just to explain a bit more about that, I, um, I relate it to driving a car and everyone considers that, that uh, third gear is the working gear. So that's when the ball is in, not high up their end, not high up our end, but in the middle places and they've got it, but we've got a good defensive shape. We've got it, but they've got a defensive shape. No one's panicking. So it's like a working gear and you move the ball accordingly until you find a gap and you find a space and you pass it through midfield, and the current term for it is between the lines. And then when you find the right player, he turns and he becomes urgent. And that's the fourth gear. And I'm then going to talk about the dynamic gear, which is fifth. And that's when Tottenham play on the break and did it so well under Poch. And if you think back to last uh, weekend's game, uh, the time when Son was going for the middle of their defence. Harry, who is actually not that quick, but he gets quicker when he, when he smells a goal. So he went on a, such a dynamic run. And also Deli Alley must have been moving and shifting because Son eventually didn't play it to Harry. I think he was actually out of stride when it should have gone, but then it, the moment was lost. And then he eventually played it to Deli, Deli who, who made the goalie make a save. But... But there's three gears there that, that, you know, all premiership teams need to play in. And you can't play 90 minutes in dynamic fifth gear. Um, so most of the gear you're using with regard to your tempo of play is the third gear, the working gear. It's when you're shuffling across to match up the opponent's possession or they're shuffling across to match up your possession. And I just think that 
that performance was worrying in terms of not being in enough, the gear that we needed to be in to hurt an opponent. So we never moved them around, we never shifted them, with, we never put them under pressure. So that, that was the, the disappointing part for me. Having said all of that, we still may have scored a couple of goals. And therefore what I'm saying is, I'd be worried about the number of times we weren't dynamic, um, but we managed to get a win. So where's that going for the rest of the season for us? The other thing I'd like you to let you in on is when a player receives the ball within our passing, and it can go square and it could go forward and it could go back and it could go sideways. I want to know if the player receiving the ball receives it because he really, really wants it, he's demanding it, or he receives it because he has to, because it's getting someone out of trouble. And I don't think there was enough demanding the ball. And I think a lot of our problems stem from at the back. We don't actually demand the ball that might be a backward pass to them, but they're so on it, then off we go because we've got a purpose and then become purposeful and then move the ball sharp. So that's where I think we were, were lacking. So if you want to use that as a judgment for yourself, when a player receives the ball, does he, is he getting the ball because he really wants it and he's showing for it and he's dictating the play that is going to come to him? Or does it sort of get forced on him and he doesn't really want it? They're the things that show me a, a plus side or a minus side within a performance and then in the result. And the, my last way to explain that is, and I'll, I'll put it in the context of myself, I decided in latter years that the more I give Glenn Hoddle the ball, the more we could get the ball to Glenn, the better team we were. So I took it upon myself to be the main person to do that. Now, how am I going to do it if I only get the ball when somebody wants to give it to me? Instead of getting the ball 50 times, I only get it 20 and therefore the, the, the service to Glenn is going to be cut. So before games and during games, I'd be saying to Ray Clements, get me the ball. When you take a cross, get it to me, to the two centre-backs. Don't keep going left, get it to me. And therefore dominate that the ball would come to me and then I could service Glenn with the ball. So I want you to judge for yourself whether you think that's happening from, of course, they haven't got a Glenn Hoddle to play into, but they've got to play it into someone and therefore are we doing it with the right momentum? So that, that's my, uh, my question for you. So some other good news. There's lots of rumours about signing players and stuff. So let's see if that develops. That would be great. And also one that's going to surprise you. I'm absolutely delighted that Orient beat Plymouth this week for lots of reasons I won't go into. But actually, because it means Tottenham Hotspur are now going to play a game against Orient. And what a fitting tribute that will be to Justin Edinburgh for the you know, lovely man that he was, for the great servant to our club and, and very good manager in his time, his short time, cut short, probably. Well, it, I know so. So um, that would be great when those two clubs are playing against each other and... Um, and for us all to think a bit more about Justin. So I've got Howard here again. 
Right, good Steve. evening, Howard. How are you? I'm good, and you? I'm fine, thank you very much. So we're going to both decided to talk about the second division season when we played Southampton at the end of the season from different perspectives. Would you like to tell us your sort of opinion on how the season went, you know, first for some time in the old second division, and particularly your, your memories of the, the last game of the season where we needed to get a draw against Southampton and did so and therefore got promoted. How did you see that season develop? Well, it was the one and only season in my entire life that we were in the second division, which is now the championship, of course, having been relegated the previous season. The first half of the year had seen some lovely football and our away, and our away games were treated by the local supporters as gala days with fairs and fun. It was like a visit by royalty. <laughs> Thank you, Hal. That's very kind of you. On the personal front, Viv got pregnant, which was great news. However, she then had to stay in bed, and I mean not get out of bed at all, if she, wanted to, if she was going to hold on to this baby. In the second half of the season, the results started to dwindle. Points dropped here and there. We conceded three goals at Mansfield, only getting a point with a very late equaliser. As the season wore on, it became clear that there'd be a scrap between us, Southampton and Brighton for the last two promotion places. As this progressed, wherever you went, you could recognise Spurs supporters. They were the ones staring off into space, totally unable to do anything constructive while we waited for the end of the season and the last game. It turned out to be a difficult season, more difficult than it was looking in that first half of the season. We were on a roll. We were playing good football. I actually was playing from the back, which meant that we were using the ball from the back. So, um, but like all things, Howard, it's never that easy. Whatever division you're in and the one you're trying to get out of, it's never easy. So it got more difficult as time went on. And that meant that the, and I always say this, the final step is the toughest. Yes. That's exactly how it turned out. So that, that tough end came with the last week where we had to play Sunderland at home, Hull at home, and then Southampton away. Southampton, the Sunderland game at White Hart Lane, we were very, very stretched with injuries and suspensions, and Jerry Armstrong had to play central defence. We scored in the first minute. Now, all Spurs supporters will know that's a very dangerous thing to happen. Yeah, Peter Taylor, wasn't it? Peter Taylor scored the goal. And we thought we'd go on and win the game. But of course, uh, Jerry Armstrong had a very sadly headed the ball back to Danes. Danes, however, wasn't facing the same way. And it was a, it was a tap in for the Sunderland player to get one all. But wow. it wasn't just one all. It was the nerves that you could see in the Spurs players who were now desperate not to take the ball that Steve was just talking about. Yep, yep. We ended up losing to Southampton, so Sunderland 3-2, which now when we went, we had to get four points from the last two games. Hull came to White Hart Lane. The Hull were already relegated from that division, but they, gave, they put in a very staunch job of stopping us playing. And it wasn't until, I believe, the 87th minute that we finally got a goal, which won us the game. That goal, I believe, was scored, scored by a certain Steve Ferriman. Well, I didn't score that many, Howard, that I could forget that. And it's surrounded by doubt. Every time anyone talks to me about that goal, they talk about I fouled someone or somebody got fouled and therefore it shouldn't have been allowed. And you were telling me earlier that when you saw it on film, 
there were so many people in the goal area that um, you couldn't actually decide who fouled who or if there was even a foul. So probably that was the same for the referee. Yeah. So it all came down to the game at Southampton. I, I very sadly didn't get to go to the game. I've seen all my, all my major games over all these years and I, didn't, I couldn't get that one for love or money. And I also meant that I was able to sit at home and look, look after Viv with the baby. There's a tough decision there, Howard. A very tough decision. And Viv clearly, clearly knows which way the wind normally blows. Yeah. And how, how difficult would it have been to get a ticket if you were allowed to go? It was impossible. Yeah, were, they, they, Southampton in the old ground. It wasn't that big a ground. The old, uh, and I literally I, di I didn't know where to start getting a ticket. It was just impossible. Yeah. Well, people have spoke to me about that. I had a friend who travelled uh, to watch mainly Spurs home games from Belfast to London, and he managed to get to the Southampton game. He tells me this is Rob Walker. He tells me that he paid fifteen pound for a three pound ticket to be able to get in, uh, full house. He was desperate to see that play, that game, but he actually wasn't desperate to watch it while he was in there because he said his body ached. <laughs> when Southampton got anywhere near our goal, his body ached. So he made all this journey, spent this excessive amount of money at that time, and actually didn't want to be there. So... Anything else, Howard, about that game? Yeah, so uh, I sat on the bed watching with, 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 there was no TV or radio coverage at the time, so we were just waiting for the odd um, latest score to come in. And we had on our bedside table one of those digital clocks with the numbers just flicked over. Yeah. Yeah. So we're sitting watching this clock going from 3.01 to 3.01.5 to 3.01.5. And then it finally flipped another number. Viv said to me, get out of there, go downstairs and listen on your own. I can't bear to be with you. <laughs> what is going on? So yeah, she, She's with, with the child. She's entitled to panic. I had said to her before the game started, how can I bring a baby into this world with us not in the top division? Exactly, Howard. That, that's, a, that's a true Tottenham supporter. Exactly. I hope the baby um, paid you respect for that thought. Well, as it happens, the baby was fine. She's now 42 years old. And as a son of her own, who's nine, and a Spurs fanatic. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, it was a great season. I've got on record of saying it was my most enjoyable season. I changed position. I got moved to the back to enable us to bring the ball out. The work of that season started about five games to go of the previous season, when we knew we were down, when we went to this new style. We then carried it on end of season tour in Norway. We then carried it on through pre-season training and to a tournament in Sweden, up in Umeå, up in the very north. We won that tournament. We beat the premiership team, Leicester City, uh, managed by Frank McClintock. And we were playing this ball out and passing and passing and more passing. Imagine Glenn is coming to the front now. Neil McNabb was a very good footballer. And we decided to go the football route. And why wouldn't you do that? So they talk about the championship uh, playoff game at Wembley being worth so much money. Is it, is it 60 million? Well, guess what? We didn't know how much that game against Southampton was worth to our club. But for sure, 
the players that were responsible for us going down and the manager, Keith Birkenshaw, and I was his captain. So we were responsible for that relegation in our own way. Um, the pressure was on because we had to get our respect back in football. We had to get the respect back of the supporters who showed us so much loyalty when we eventually went down and their belief in this club. And um, they followed us through that season, through thick and thin. A lot couldn't have got in like you, Howard, with regard to no tickets available. But Spurs supporters all over the world were hanging on to that, um, to that result and that performance. And I suppose the performance wasn't that important. It was all about the result. And Keith and Laurie McMenemy, their manager, came out before the game. They both sat on the touchline. And within all this struggle and the pressure, they were sort of cuddling each other down the touchline and laughing about what was about to happen. Some people construed that, that the, that the game was fixed, but I can guarantee you it wasn't. And if any English game was ever going to be fixed, I'm sure there's someone two years later or 10 years later or 100 years later going to tell you that that was, that was the case. So it obviously wasn't the case. I remember that Southampton hit the post. So our important season in Division 2 was hanging by a thread or was hanging by the width of this post. And thankfully it didn't go in. Our supporters, another supporter, nice man Gary from Barnet, told me that although he couldn't remember much about the game and why would you remember it was such a poor game that they started erecting fences towards the second half of the games to stop any supporters getting onto the onto the field and guess what they were <laughs> they were deconstructed as the longer the game went on because those Spurs supporters were going to get onto the pitch. If their team got promoted, they were going to get onto the pitch, which they thankfully did. We got the 0-0 draw. We are the top goal scorers in the league that year, which suggests we must have conceded a lot of goals um, to be even in doubt of promotion. As Howard mentioned, three games conceded nine goals. So, um, you know, this was a, a hang in there. Um, uh, who knows if Southampton had scored when they hit the post maybe maybe we'd have relaxed a bit more and got more free-flowing and went on to get an equaliser or maybe even two and I think that's the reason why Southampton didn't attack us too much actually I don't regard it as one of my I regard it as a very good season I don't regard it as as to go on my list of achievements because you know, if you, if you help take Spurs down, what's the point of saying you help take them up? But the important thing was that we were then back in the big league. If we hadn't have gone up, there's no doubt that we could not have gone to Argentina and signed our deal as the star of the 78 World Cup or, or his friend Ricky Villa. That couldn't possibly have happened. Um, so us getting promoted was the start of, and we all know the good run of results in the eighties and it doesn't, it's not, you can't just flick a switch on. We, we don't go from 
just scraping up into the top league and then all of a sudden being over successful. Um, but we did it bit by bit and eventually we had the, the purple patch of, of uh, games and trophies. So um, it all started with that uh, relegation season, which in some respects, although it was horrific to be part of, probably turned out the best thing that could have happened because it, it made the decision makers um, sit up and look at themselves and look at us. What type of club are we? What do we stand for? And um, started to compete again. And, and then eventually you sign Archibald and Crooks. And, you know, before we go into the season after, it's Ray Clements. And of course, these players don't come anywhere near us if we are not in the top league. So fantastic, not a fantastic game, but fantastic result. Typical Keith Birkinshaw, uh, after the game, how did we celebrate? I'm wondering about you, Howard, how you celebrated. Uh, we went to Perrinporth for about five or six days for some fun, some golf, uh, some football on the beach. Um, and tied into it was, uh, uh, we opened the new stadium at Truro City, uh, where we've had a long and, and fruitful uh, relationship ever since that, that time. So, um, yeah, it wasn't Las Vegas. It wasn't Dubai. This was Perrinporth. And we were very happy to go there because we'd been successful and it didn't matter where we went. Uh, we just enjoyed ourselves in, a, in the correct manner and uh, were still fit enough to, to take on Truro and, and put on a show there. So um, I'm going to finish now. Thank you, Howard, again. Thank you, Tom, for behind the scenes. Thank you all for listening and um, to make this uh, podcast viable or possible i just realized talking about the everton game that the start of this season was my first season since 1967 68 uh that i haven't been involved with a club uh so that's 50 plus years um that first season i left school joined spurs as a 15 year old so um our move is going According to plan, I think we're ready to move out of this hotel where we are in Exmouth uh, into our new place in Wiltshire by mid-October. Uh, and it means I'll be able to go and see our beloved Spurs when the gates are open and we can all go again. So again, thank you for listening. Don't be too disappointed with the first weekend's results. It happens. I think I described last week, for instance, uh, Everton. We beat them 4-1 at Everton. They went and got a loss in midweek. So two out of two losses, and then they went on to win the league. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're going to do that, but it just shows you that the first result is not the be-all and end-all for the future. But um, bear in mind the things I said that you should look for within a performance um, that may or may not tally with the result that you've managed to get or not get. So thanks for listening. Um, speak to you next week. Up the Spurs.